You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities and solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Originally, we conducted a number of forensics investigations in Russia uh, connected to two Russian banks, uh, one of them being successful attacks and the other was thankfully thwarted by uh, the security department at the particular bank in question. That's Nicholas Palmer. He's the director of international business development at Group IB, a company with expertise in computer forensics, information security and specifically Russian-speaking criminal groups. We're discussing Group IB's research into a group of Russian-speaking hackers who've stolen nearly $10 million from banks around the world, a group they've named Money Taker. We'll be joined in a bit by Group IB's head of threat intelligence, Dmitry Volkop. But for now, back to Nicholas Palmer. Another bank in, in Russia uh, was attacked uh, in 2017 this year, uh, but those early in 2016 were some of the uh, original attacks that, that we did see. And so you get uh, wind of this through that, and then how does your awareness of it uh, spread to uh, around the globe? Actually, a, a number of banks in the U.S. were uh, affected by, uh, we, we didn't know at the time, obviously, but by a particular uh, targeted attack group. 
Uh, and through some of the channels that we have, uh, we were provided with IP addresses and some files to analyze and try and provide a little bit more context on uh, the events that some of the banks were seeing. Actually, one of the U.S. banks was attacked uh, twice, uh, and this is some of the information that we received. Uh, and through that analysis, we were able to identify money takers infrastructure uh, and looking at Metasploit logs, we were able to identify uh, numerous other attacks that had taken place by this particular targeted attack group. So take us through that initial attack that you investigated. Uh, what was the discovery there? So we have an uh, interbank system, a uh, wire transfer system uh, with name ARMCBR, which is a Russian analog of SWIFT. That's Dmitry Wolkop. He's Group IB's Director of Threat Intelligence. The main goal was to get inside the bank, find the related network with ARMCBR, and uh, send funds using this interbank transfer system. So for this purpose, we developed actually a tool which we named uh, MoneyTaker. This is actually the source of the name for our report and the name for Cybercriminal Group. Uh, Using this tool, we were able to replace payment details uh, during sending funds from one bank to another for a specific amount of money. Uh, actually, after that, they did successful money laundering uh, scheme here in Russia. The average damage uh, with two incidents was $1.2 million, uh, if we convert, of course, rubles to dollars. Mm-hmm. So let's go into some of the details of, of how Money Taker works, particularly um, this sort of file system that it uses uh, and the way that it manipulates these uh, banking uh, records. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, in in terms of being fileless, uh, certainly uh, a lot of the different targeted attack groups are conducting fileless attacks now. Mm. Um, In the way that the attack uh, AWS CBR, the SWIFT analog system in Russia, it's actually not overly complex. Um, By analyzing the specific money taker tool that was hosted on this uh, infrastructure that we were analyzing, you can see that there's actually four different uh, modules included in this money taker Uh, tool that they used. Uh, There's a main module, uh, a module for replacing payment data, a module for replacing and hiding the fraudulent transaction so the other bank doesn't know about it. Um, And and that's really the scheme. So they intercept uh, the payment message, they replace it with uh, new instructions, and they hide their traces so that the operation will be complete. Um, So it's actually a a fairly common in this day and age uh, methodology, but a unique tool for this particular group. And what was the initial way that they got into the systems? Actually, with the uh, incident response that we conducted, we actually didn't find the initial attack vector, Hmm. uh, which was very common in a lot of cases that we uh, did investigation on. Even when we looked at their infrastructure, it wasn't exactly clear how the uh, target attack group got into the bank, what the initial infection vector was. Um, And this is one of the signs from the group. They're very good at hiding their traces um, and deleting any trace of the initial infection vector. In the uh, last incident in Russia in 2017, we found that threat detectors initially infected home computer of our administrator of the bank, and using that computer and his legitimate access, remote access uh, to the banking network, uh, we successfully connected into the bank network, and then uh, little movement from one host to another, and then to isolated network with banking systems. But uh, we still don't know how they infected, uh, initially infected his home computer. Because uh, after the incident, unfortunately, administrator and actually probably threat actors uh, deleted all traces pretty carefully. 
Now, there have been several groups of incidences here. You all have uh, have grouped these attacks into three groups. Can you take us through what those are? Yeah, absolutely. So essentially, there's three different groups that we're looking at. Um, you know, the, the two incidents that occurred in Russia in, in autumn of 2016, uh, a number of different incidents that occurred in the United States and in the UK, um, and then the one additional incident that we again witnessed in autumn of 2017. So that's kind of the three different groups that we kind of see with this attack. Now, take us through uh, their attacks on card processing. After gaining access to uh, the corporate network, again, they're going to look for uh, isolated systems within the bank. Uh, To do so, they escalate privileges using a number of different publicly available uh, tools. They use uh, old vulnerabilities, for example, in group policy preferences to gain access to uh, administration credentials on the domain controller. Uh, And from there, they actually would get access to the card processing systems uh, within the financial institution, open up legitimate accounts within the organization, change withdrawal limits, and actually uh, conduct withdrawals at ATMs or otherwise and complete the fraud. And I saw in the report that uh, the average loss caused by one attack was half a million dollars. In the U.S., uh, we identified the average losses at about half a million dollars, and this was actually confirmed by uh, the Star Organization in one of the news quotes. I can't remember exactly one, but that was confirmed by third party as well. Yeah. Can you describe to us, uh, they were using Metasploit. Uh, can you describe to us how they were using that for this attack? Well, Metasploit is very uh, common or general tool used by many cybercriminals, and of course used by not just cybercriminals, but in, uh, security experts. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have two instances, uh, main instances. One of them with Metasploit server, uh, and we use that server to manage attack uh, for Metasploit console. So every, everything was pretty standard. Also on the same server, we hosted some additional exploits which were used to escalate privileges, local privileges, some uh, new developed uh, scripts to propagate from the network, to scan network, some malicious programs uh, that were used probably uh, for other reasons, like some bank intrusions, uh, like Kronos, Citadel, uh, remote control tools, BNC, with different versions and uh, different stages that we developed to deliver to infected networks. And the next server, the main purpose of this server was actually to provide persistence at all. So it was almost empty, it was running only HTTP server, uh, and the main goal of this server was to check if victim uh, that is going to connect to this server is actually a victim whom we're targeting or if it's a security experts trying to analyze something. So we did very simple checks. One of them is uh, we checked the user agent field in every HTTP request. If it was equal to win HTTP, and then we passed uh, to the second step. If it was not win HTTP, we returned the uh, uh, web error. So uh, the next step uh, actually checked if this IP address that requested for malicious payload was whitelisted on that server. Uh, if it was whitelisted, we returned the malicious uh, payload. If it was not whitelisted, we returned actually legitimate Windows file. Now, they were also using some SSL certificates using popular brand names. What, what, what was going on there? Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the... Um unique indicators that we have for uh, money taker of course this isn't a very strong indicator in itself to uh, in terms of attribution but it is something that we noticed from this particular group by reviewing all of the metasploit logs that they had 
Um, and actually, in review of some of the SSL certificates, you can see that uh, the SSL are very carefully designed, and that's not always the case from uh, different target attack groups. You can see uh, in some of the SSL certificates, they use very popular brands like uh, MetaBank or Bank of America or Yahoo. So uh, all of the SSL certificates that we identified uh, were actually very carefully designed, um, which we found very interesting. It's not always common. And you, you state in the report that uh, the attackers are Russian-speaking. Uh, where does that lead you in terms of attribution? Uh, let me explain, and probably it will be not very clear, but I hope Nick will uh, help me with translation. <laughs> okay. So, so historically, we have uh, only Russian-speaking protectors who target uh, Russian banks. I mean, in case of targeted attacks, of course. Why? Because of a language barrier. So it's very hard to be a non-Russian-speaking guy, don't, and in fact, actually, uh, bank and successful get into, get access into internal Russian banking systems because it was developed by Russian developers, by Russian companies with only Russian language documentation. And of course, if uh, we speak about interbank system, this documentation is available only for Russian clients. I mean, in, you should be a bank. Um, that's why it's really hard to get it. Uh, the next problem that all interfaces in Russian banks actually run in Russian language. That's a problem from non-Russian speaking guy. But it's not the main reason actually. So you could be super hacker, uh, seated somewhere outside of Russia, for instance in, in India, and uh, you can get potential access to any system in Russian bank. But the next step you should need to send money outside of bank. And for this girl, you need uh, someone who able to do money laundering scheme in Russia. Because even if you attack Russian banks, uh, not through a SWIFT system, but through Arsebir, it means that you can send money only to Russian banks, not outside of Russia. So it means that you have uh, to be able to do money laundering uh, for a huge amount of money. So usually we try to send uh, sometimes millions, sometimes dozens of million dollars within one day. So not everyone who declares that he is able to do money laundering is able to accept such dirty money, do careful money laundering. And of course, people who can do this, we work only with trusted persons. We are really careful. And the level, such level of trust is available only between native speakers. This is actually works for both sides. So guys who do money laundering, we don't want to do such attacks in Russia with non-Russian speaking guys, this is first, and the guys who potentially could conduct a tech outside of Russia and doesn't speak Russian, uh, he doesn't trust the guy who's doing money laundering here, because if he sent money to his banking accounts, he should potentially get uh, some percent from after money laundering uh, steps. But if you don't have trust between these guys with high uh, level of risk, Guys who will do money laundering successfully will not send you back any percent because you can just say, okay, about 80% of all money you send out of bank were blocked somewhere in the middle of our money laundering scheme. Sorry, and forget about them. And that's it. It doesn't work without a certain level of uh, trust. But there are also some additional indicators who also confirms this version, like we used uh, my, um, email addresses on Yandex, mail, we used hosting in Russia, and that actually hosting provider do not provide uh, hosting uh, in English, uh, so we don't have English version site. Uh, we also see that we rented this server, uh, we also have communications 
with uh, partners who speak only Russian, and I think that's it. <laughs> yeah. So in your estimation, how sophisticated are these attackers? Well, we are good enough, but uh, it's really hard to estimate how we good, if we are good enough to attack the biggest bank uh, in the United States or maybe in Russia or other regions, because we focus their efforts only on small banks. And actually, there are two reasons. One of them, because we are less secure and we don't have proper connections with law enforcement. And we believe that if we attack small banks, well, not the risk that will be real investigation is uh, lower if we attack, for instance, some big bank, I mean, the bank from top 10. So that's where we target easy victims. And when we analyze log files from Metasploit framework, we see that they sometimes allow themselves to do some noisy tricks uh, to raise privileges to move from one host to another host. Uh, it doesn't mean that they are not sophisticated. Probably we just see that there is no reasons uh, to hide themselves, I mean, in the corporate network pretty well, because uh, they, I mean, these banks doesn't have uh, proper internet security solutions uh, on place or maybe some procedures. So what is your advice for banks who want to protect themselves from this? Certainly being aware of some of the tactics and techniques that they use to uh, penetrate in the network to escalate privileges, you know, being aware of the most recent tactics by different target attack groups is, is very important. You know, I think Dimitri and the, and the team here at Group IB uh, on the intelligence team did a really good job at describing some of the different uh, steps in their attack, you know, use of specific ports uh, for communication, use of different uh, public tools for for RDP access. Um, so I think, you know, having knowledge of the different attacks that are taking place by target attack groups is critical. Uh, moreover, I think it's important to learn about potentially what are the, the next targets, you know, looking at some of the documents that were exfiltrated during money takers activities uh, show us signs of perhaps things of interest for this particular target attack group. Uh, looking at some of the documents that were exfiltrated, we can see uh, SWIFT related administration documents. Uh, we can also see documents connected to Ocean Systems uh, FedLink, and this is primarily used uh, amongst Latin American uh, financial institutions. So perhaps these organizations should be aware of a potential group that's taking interest in uh, their region. So this is just the beginning. It's always good to see how community reflects on the report and send us feedbacks with new information. It's very positive. Yeah, so uh, people should uh, reach out if they have uh, something to contribute. Uh, get in touch. Check out the blog post and uh, and get in touch. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, that's how we first got on this case after we did the incident response. And, you know, we share information, technical indicators with other vendors and, and they share with us. You know, this type of sharing helps us uncover and helps other vendors uncover, you know, research like this and, and really contributes to the security community. Our thanks to Nicholas Palmer and Dimitri Wolkop from Group IB. You can find out more about the Money Taker exploit on the Group IB website. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs 
won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills, all using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.